Well, we are in the, the third week of our series, I Choose. And in this series, we're looking at some very important, specific choices that we need to make as followers of Jesus. These are decisions that will both better our lives now and in the future, but also, honestly, I think have the potential to make us more effective and more willing and able to be used by God for the growth of his kingdom, for more people to know him. And honestly, this series, it could go on forever because life is made up of a continuous series of choices, and there are so many where we say, well, we could talk about that, and we could talk about that one too, and that one too, and that one too, and you know, stay in this series forever. But the truth is, these four, these four that we're addressing over these four weeks, are four of the biggies. Uh, two weeks ago, we started by choosing uh, purpose over popularity. And kind of what we talked about there was the idea that, that God has a purpose for you, and that has to matter more than what the world around you thinks about you. Um, last week, we talked about choosing surrender over control, and that was a tough one. That is a tough one for all of us, because we like to think that we know the best way, and we know what's right, and the truth is, we have to accept that God's uh, plan for our life is more important than us retaining control, and if you weren't able to be here either of those weeks, those sermons are always available on our website, um, usually by the Tuesday morning after that Sunday each week, so we encourage you to, to, to go back and check those out if you missed them. So as we start into today's choice, I need us to simply acknowledge a truth. This, this statement I'm about to make, it, it's just a fact. It's the way that life is. It may not be something we like to think about, but it is a part of life, and, it, and it's this. Life is painful. Life can be very painful. You and I have, have most likely experienced a lot of pain in our lives. You and I will continue to experience pain in our lives. It may come in short spurts. It may come in waves, it may seem constant sometimes, but pain seems to be a part of life, and some of you may already be thinking, man, I was coming to church to get some encouragement today, and here he goes pointing out my pain. Well, it is important that we acknowledge it, and I promise you we'll get to some, some encouragement if you track with me. And here's the thing, if we controlled when pain came and went, if we had, if we had a say in that, it'd be better. Then again, we also said last week we were supposed to choose surrender over control. But if we could control when the pain came and went, that'd be great. But a significant chunk of the pain we deal with is, in fact, out of our control. You, you get into a freak accident. Someone you love hurts you or, or betrays you. Your company downsizes and suddenly you have to look for a new job. In each of those situations, you cause none of that, but you still deal with the pain. A lot of pain is out of our control. Jesus himself said this about pain in John chapter 16, verse 33. He said, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Troubles and trials and pain, they are, they are simply a part of this world as long as we live in this world. And as long as we live in this world, they'll be part of our lives. And so while some of that pain is not within our control, the reality is that there is other pain that is within our control. What I mean by that is that in some situations, we have a choice between one type of pain and another. We can choose our pain. If you're a young person here today, I want to give you this example. I want you to think about it this way. You can choose the pain of obeying your parents today or face the pain of consequences later. I don't often ask for an amen from parents. But <clears throat> or what about this one? This one actually may go more towards the adults uh, in the room. You choose 
You can choose the pain of living within your means today or choose the pain of battling a mountain of debt later. Or you can choose the pain of studying for the exam today or experience the pain of failing the test tomorrow. There are a lot of examples of that. You, you have a choice. You choose your pain. Either way, there's some pain involved, but you have a choice. And so that's kind of where we're going to dig in today. We're going to talk about choosing a certain type of pain. In fact, we're going to talk about choosing the pain of discipline over the pain of regret. If pain is inevitable, and I believe that it is in this life, but if pain is inevitable, I think it would be insane of us to not at least consider the options in those situations where we do, in fact, have a choice about our pain. And I think on the surface, we would say, well, well regret is something I want to avoid at all costs. I, that's, that's the, let's, let's forget about regret because I don't, I don't want to have regrets. I don't want to regret the decisions I've made. I don't, I, want to, I don't want to have to do that. So if that means that I need to, to have a little discipline to avoid the regret, give me discipline all day long. And I think we would say that. Because I don't think anybody goes, you know, in 20 years, I want to look back at this time in my life and regret it all. No one says that. And so I think we'd say, listen, if it takes discipline to not have regret, then I'm fine with that. And yet we struggle with this one. I think this is one of those things where we know the right answer. And what we know the right answer is and what we want the right answer to be are two different things. And I think our struggle with discipline versus regret has an awful lot to do with that and with a lack of understanding of what discipline really means. And so for today's purposes, here's how I want us to define discipline. Discipline is choosing between what you want now and what you want most. Let that sink in for just a second. Discipline is choosing between what you want now and what you want most. So let's go to the Bible and we'll take a look today at what the Apostle Paul had to say. We're going to read a lot of Paul's words today. We're going to start in Romans 7. And by Romans 7, by the point that, that Paul is writing these words that would eventually become Romans chapter 7, it's important that we understand who Paul was and then at this point who he is. Because Paul was a Christian killer. Paul oversaw the killing of Christians. He had Christians arrested in droves. He, he, was, he was very much about eliminating the followers of Jesus until he met Jesus. Like after Jesus had died and rose again, Paul met him and everything changed. And he went from the guy who wanted to kill everyone who followed Jesus to the guy who wanted everyone to follow Jesus. He became the thing he previously wanted to destroy all because he met Jesus. And that's an entire another sermon, but it's important that we understand how powerful meeting Jesus is. That Paul went from wanting to destroy all who followed him to wanting everyone to follow him. That, that's crazy. And Paul would eventually write almost a third of what is, is now known as the New Testament of the Bible. He was a, a missionary and a church planner at a level that we don't even understand. He was the leader of the spreading of the early church. If anyone should have had some sort of spiritual edge, if anyone should have been on another spiritual level, it would have been Paul and yet Paul wrote these words in Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 14. He said, so the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. And I think we can relate a little bit to Paul there. We, uh, we often, at least more than we'd like to admit, look back on things we've done or decisions we've made and we say, man, that, that's so not me. 
I don't know who I was in that moment. That's just not me. And, and yet we did it, so I, I guess it is us. And, 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 you know, when Paul writes about this, it's almost like he's separating this conversation and he's looking at himself from a distance. And, and when we do that, we say, man, sometimes I don't even recognize myself. This is kind of a silly example, but, but it's timely with Thanksgiving coming up this week. Uh, how many of us have ever said something to this effect? I can't believe I ate the whole thing. I didn't want to eat the whole thing, but I ate the whole thing. Well, yeah, you did. You wanted to. I know I'm going to regret it later, but i got to finish these last few bites. I can't believe I ate the whole thing. Paul is saying here, I, I know what's right, but I do what's wrong, and I don't know why, and I look back, and it doesn't make sense, but I did it, so it must have made sense in the moment, and I just don't understand myself sometimes. I think we've probably all been there. And when you look back at something you've done or something you said, and you say, I just don't I know that wasn't the right thing to do, but I didn't. When we get to that point, it can be a pretty hopeless feeling. Even Paul's tone here, just, just, just reading it, you kind of get this idea that he's at a loss. He says, you know what, I don't know why I mess up all the time. Maybe if we didn't know the right thing to do and did the wrong thing, learning the right thing would make us less likely to mess this up. But the problem is we know the right things to do. And we still turn around and do what's wrong. And I feel like that kind of leaves us with less hope than we can overcome it. Except Paul does, several verses later, answer that for us in verses 24 and 25. This is what he writes. He says, Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is in my mind. I, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature... I am a slave to sin. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. And really, that's the answer to everything, right? I mean, that should be the answer to everything. But, but think about it here. Uh, this is what I hear Paul saying. He's saying, I want to do the right thing. I can't always seem to do it. I'm often ashamed when I didn't get it right. I get down on myself. I feel like a failure. I feel so embarrassed. You would think that by now I could get this right, but I can't seem to. Who can help me? And then Paul basically says, thank God that the answer is not me being better. That the answer is not me being stronger. Thank God above for sending Jesus Christ. Because he's the only answer. It's not on us to get better. And Honestly, the answer is in Jesus Christ. And that's the whole, really, probably the key to the message today. That on our own, we are prone to, to make wrong choices, but with the help and the power of Jesus, he can, he can help us overcome that. He can enable us to choose not what we want now, but what we really want most. Which, when we do that, is in fact choosing the pain of discipline over the pain of regret. And so I want to stick with Paul here for a little bit. and see some more of what he had to say about this. Because what you can, what you, if you read chronologically through some of Paul's writings, what you see is he really does learn to be more disciplined. And he does begin to more and more tap into the power of Jesus Christ to help him accomplish that. He writes a, a pretty well known, on a pretty well-known topic in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, in verse 24, he says, that Don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize, so run to win. And again, Paul is talking about what it looks like to walk through this life trying to follow Jesus. He says, when you're running a race, even though only one person wins, you still try. 
When you run, you run with every bit of focus, intensity, and power that you have. You try to win. How many of you have ever actually run legitimately in a, in a race? Like, you, you, we were in a race. I bet you actually tried. I bet you tried, because you don't enter a race unless you're going to try. But what that says to me in this verse, what I think Paul's saying here is that even if I know I don't always get everything right, even though it's not likely that I will ever get everything right, I still need to try. Just like you don't enter a race, and even if you don't think you're going to win, you still make the effort. You still try. And yet we struggle with that. If we know something in our life is probably going to fail, we have this tendency to give up and say, well, it's going to fail anyway. Why try? If we perceive no chance to win, a lot of us give up. Now, some of you, are, some of you don't fall into that. You're very lucky. It's a slippery slope. But we do that. We say, well, I've got no chance of succeeding here, so why should I even bother trying? It's not how it should be. Win or lose, trying, striving is what matters. And listen to what Paul says next, beginning in verse 25. He says, all athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Do you know what I hear Paul saying here? I hear Paul saying you have to choose what you want most over what you want now. If you want to be in shape long term, but you want to sleep and eat pizza all day right now, you have to choose what you want most or what you want now. And spiritually, our spiritual lives are exactly what Paul is talking about here. We have that same choice. If our goal is to spend eternity in heaven, and that should be our goal, if I want to be in heaven and I want to spend eternity with Jesus, that means that in this life I'm going to have to make some choices where I, I, I give some stuff up, I say no to some things now in order to attain what I want most. It's that discipline that makes all the difference. When Paul paints this picture, when he uses this example of running, it's likely that his original audience who read this letter, thought of an actual competition occurring back in their world. They did this regularly. It was kind of Olympic-like. Very, very full of patriotic pride. It was a big deal if you won. And what the athletes would do back then is they would go into a 10-month, very strict training regimen leading up to these races, these games. They'd eat nothing unhealthy, no alcohol or anything like that, which, which doesn't sound that intense. But they were also known to, during their training, expose themselves to high levels of heat and extremely cold temperatures to shock their body. Not, not my idea of a good time. They did whatever it took to prepare themselves for this race. The writer of Hebrews used similar running a race imagery in Hebrews 12. He said, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. This, this path that we're on, this life that we're living, it, it is this race that God has for us. And the idea of the Hebrews writer here says, get rid of what holds you back. That makes a ton of sense. Not that long ago, if you asked me if I run, I'd say maybe from danger. <laughs> or maybe to the fridge for a snack. Or maybe if someone is chasing me. But improving my health has become a priority for me, and so now I run every day if I can. And I know that that's hard to believe. If you drive by in the early evening, I I'm, I'm, can be seen circling the building um, many times. It's a very boring way to run, but it works. And you know what the hardest part has been for me? The hardest part has not been the running part. 
I mean, yes, there are days where I don't feel like running. But the hardest part has been deciding what to wear. Because, not track with me, y'all are laughing at me. Um, <laughs> this whole like temperature fluctuation thing that we've been dealing with has coincided with me starting to run. And so, uh, additionally, it gets dark at like 3 o'clock. So I, I, the temperature drops significantly then, too. I, there's several times I've run through that change, and it's like I should have brought a change of clothes. And so I, I'm never sure, you know, do I wear short sleeves or long sleeves? Do I wear sweatpants or shorts? Do I, you know, sunglasses or my regular glasses? Do I wear anything on my head? You know, what do I do to best maximize my ability to run? And what I've figured out is that, that if nothing, and I don't always get it right. I get halfway through a run and I'm like, I was dressed poorly. But what I have figured out is this. Got to empty my pockets. Don't need to be hauling anything in my pockets. Shorts are always better for me. And, and I wear earbuds while I run. My earbuds need to run down through my shirt or they flap in the wind. The little things get in the way and hold me back. And so I, I eliminate those things. And it sounds really lame when I talk about it, but you know, why wouldn't you get the things that are in the way out of the way? Why wouldn't you do that? And the writer of Hebrews fairly obviously here isn't really talking about running, but it's true for life. God has a race marked out for us, and if something holds us back, we need to get it out of the way. But here's a painful truth. Sometimes the things that we need to get out of the way, the weight that needs to be stripped off in order for us to better run this race, sometimes it's something that we don't actually want to get rid of. We may even acknowledge that it's in the way, but we aren't willing to let it go. Sometimes it's something that we desperately want to hold on to. Sometimes it's legitimately something that we want now. And in that moment, we're right back to that important decision. Am I willing to give up what I want now for what I want most? And there are really, there are really two questions within that question. The first one is this. What is it that you actually want most? You know, I could speak in generalities all day and say, well, we all want to go to heaven. I could say that, but I don't know that that is what you want most right now. It's to spend eternity with God. And so I really want you to think about this. Well, if, if I ask you, what do you want most? And I mean long-term most, most important thing. What do you want most? Please don't tell me I want to win the lottery. That's, that's, that's first of all, unrealistic. And second, just, that doesn't work for, for what we're talking about here. We'll stay in the more realistic realm. But what, you, what do you want most? Not what would be nice right now. Not what would give me a little bit of happiness. But what do I want most? And, and absolutely consider where you're at in your relationship with God. Absolutely consider where you're at in your relationship with your spouse, your family, your kids. Absolutely consider where you're at with your job or career. All of those, those big areas. And then pick one. Figure out what you want most. For some, it could be something like this. I know the thing that I need not right now, the thing I want most right now is to grow closer to God. That would change my life for the better. And so what I want most is to grow closer to God. Whatever that will take, that's what I want. Some might say, honestly, the best thing for me overall, I want to be healthier, lose 20 pounds, quit smoking, something like that. In the long run, that'd be the best thing for me. Whatever that will take, that's what I want. Some might say something like, I want my debt wiped out. Long term, that's the best thing for me. Whatever that'll take, that's what I want most. Some might say, I want my marriage to be more than average, more than status quo. I want a strong marriage, and whatever that will take, that's what I want. And the truth is, we need to be careful, because a lot of us could come up with a dozen or more things. 
good things. But this is right now what you want most. And, and here's, here's something we need to understand, and I, I believe this, that, that if we start with one area like this, and what you'll notice is all those areas have something in common. Those are all pretty big deal areas. Those aren't little things. What I want most now is you know, for the Browns to win the football game today. Um, it's not going to happen. But <laughs> These aren't little things. These are big things. We're talking about marriages. We're talking about finances. These are things that affect us in a big way. We're talking about our relationship with God. These are core things. And what I believe is if we try to tackle them all at once, there's a good chance that we're not going to tackle any of them. But here's what I believe. I believe that when we begin to work on one of these areas in our lives, and we trust God to help us do that. When we say, this is really what I want most, and I'm going to do what it takes, and you actually do it, that when you begin to see victory in that area, when you begin to see progress in that area, that you can also make progress in those other areas, that, that it builds on itself. And so that's why it's important for us to, if you're really going to think about this, to focus on one. And so what is it that you want most? I, I would encourage you to write it down. And that helps because it forces you to own it beyond just your own mind. And then if you want to take the next step, show it to somebody. Because then it's really not just in your mind. What do you want most? And then comes the second. What do you need to choose now to achieve what you want most? And this is where discipline comes in. If we're going the route of the disciplined person, and we need to do that, this is where it starts. Because if you say you want to be closer to God, but you never crack open your Bible... You don't plug in any deeper to the church. You neglect your prayer life. You're not taking any steps toward that. Then I refuse to believe what you really want most is to grow closer to God. You say you want to be healthier, but you're hitting up the Chinese buffet three days a week for lunch. It sounds delicious, but it's a terrible diet plan. I promise. If that's what you're doing, then I refuse to believe that what you really want most to be healthier. If you say you want your debt wiped out, now this one's big, listen carefully here. If you say you want your debt wiped out, but you don't hold back at all in your spending this holiday season as Christmas is coming, then I refuse to believe that what you want most is to wipe out that debt. And if you say you want your marriage to be stronger, to be more than just the status quo, but you find more and more reasons to not be home, or more and more reasons to, to exist in a different part of the house from your spouse. If you're increasing your time apart, I refuse to believe that you want a stronger marriage. You see, we have really good intentions. That's one of the, really one of the things at the core of this whole idea. We, we know, it's, it's what Paul said. We know the right thing to do, and sometimes we even intend to do that right thing. We know what we should be seeking, and we want to seek it. We intend to do so. In the context of what we're talking about today, we know what it is that we should want most. And we'll make statements and even some small decisions that declare that, hey, that is really what we want most. Specifically, when it comes to our relationship with God, we have such good intentions. We make these sweeping declarations and we say, I know I've been struggling, but what I need is to grow closer to God. I know that that's what matters. And we make these declarations and we recommit ourselves and it sounds great until a decision comes along where we have the choice between what we want most and what we want now. And now takes over and our good intentions are all for naught. We are in a constant battle between what we should want most and what we seem to want right now. 
the world really gets in the way of our good intentions, doesn't it? One of the most difficult things to do is to keep your eyes on heaven while you're still on earth. To have that kind of focus. It's so difficult because I know this world. I live in this world. I experience this world. I have relationships in this world. This world is the entirety of my experience, my understanding. And yet heaven is where I want to spend eternity. Heaven with Jesus. Heaven singing our praise to God for eternity. This life is just a blip compared to that eternity, and yet this is what we understand. And so we struggle to keep our eyes on heaven because there's only so much we know about it. There's only so much we can know about it. And so because of that, it's so easy to be distracted by the world. That's why we struggle so much. And so often choose now instead of most. And yet I believe that with God's help, we can fix our eyes on heaven. We can see beyond this temporary life. We can focus on that and allow that focus to affect the way we live and the choices we make. I want to close by working through a a chapter of Scripture with you. It's one of my favorite chapters of Scripture. Again, this is Paul writing in in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And it's in your bulletin there on on your uh, insert. But I just want to work through it real quick and see if, if it's got any last bit of wisdom for us on this today. Paul writes this, he says, Therefore, since God in His mercy has given us this new way, we never give up. We reject all shameful deeds and underhanded methods. We don't try to trick anyone or distort the Word of God. We tell the truth before God, and all who are honest know this. What what I read Paul's talking about there takes discipline. Never giving up takes discipline. He continues, If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Not everyone who hears the message of Jesus will come to believe, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't still be preaching it. And that goes back to what Paul said about running the race. We don't want to say no for anybody. And if we don't share Jesus with them, we kind of are saying no for them. Paul goes on, he says, you see, we don't go around preaching ourselves about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let there be light in the darkness has made this light shine in our hearts so that we can know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. And this, for me, is where this this chapter of Scripture, this passage, gets so interesting and so real. It's actually a good thing that we don't go around preaching ourselves because we do so often stumble We do so often choose what we want now over what we want most. And so if we were preaching ourselves, if we were telling the world, you need to be more like me because I follow Jesus, that sounds okay. But that'd be a bad idea. Because we're as fragile as a clay jar. If I had a clay jar and I sat it on the stand and I just let it fall that short distance, it would almost certainly shatter because it's fragile. And we are like that. We are fragile. We mess up. And if we told the world, be like me, it would probably only be a matter of time before we broke. We're not perfect. 
but instead our fragile selves are filled with the light of Jesus, and it's Him that we preach, which is great. It's so important that people know it's not by our own power that we're saved. It's not by our own power that we have hope and peace. It's not even by our own power that we love people. But it's only by the power and grace of God. I believe Paul is saying here, you know, as flawed as we are, as much as we tend to mess this up, it's okay because if we would just get out of the way, Jesus would shine through us. He continues in verse 8. He says, we are pressed. On every side by troubles, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus, so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life. For you now, now, now we have to understand that Paul lived in a different time and, and he was frequently in danger for his faith. And, and we probably aren't there yet, but there are movements in our culture and the way our country and our world are working that, that make me believe that there's a good chance that it is going to be increasingly questioned to be a follower of Jesus. And so while we're not facing the threat of death, it's certainly important for us to read these words that Paul says. It's not easy to live for Jesus, but it's not supposed to be easy. And yet it's worth it. I believe that may be the most important thing he says there. Verse 13, he continues, but we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said, I believed in God, so I spoke. We know that God who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us to Himself together with you. All of this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. So often we get confused about why it is we do what we do, but when it comes to following Jesus, whatever we do in His name, we're doing for the glory of God. That needs to be our motive. And then to me, the most important part of this chapter He says, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. And it's really all about our perspective. Can we truly fix our eyes on what we want most, not what we want now? Because if that's something we can do, the results won't be so much life-changing as eternity-changing. And I get it. We, we live here. We experience life here. And there are a lot of good things in this life. I really like cranberry sauce. And I don't get to eat it very often. And it's delicious. And, and I really like spending time with, with family. I love watching my kids open Christmas presents. Like, it's fun. I know once they're teenagers, it won't be fun. Because when you get them socks. But the joy on their faces. Like, I love it. 
I really, really, really enjoy that. I like the first snowfall. You can hate me if you want to. I really, I really, it's, it's beautiful. There are a lot of things, and, and, and maybe you're thinking about them, that bring us joy in this life, a lot of things that make us happy in this life. What is hard to understand is that those things, no matter how amazing they seem, no matter how much fun they may be, no matter how much, we might even say, pure joy they bring, those things are nothing compared to the joy of heaven. And because those things make us smile and put warm fuzzies in our hearts and all of those things, we struggle to actually believe that. But take the best of this world, heaven is so much better. And so we have to decide. Do we go with what we want now? Or what we want most? Let's pray. God, you've given us so many wonderful gifts in this life. So many good things, so many blessings. And, and, and we, are, we are grateful for those. We don't want to take those for granted. But we also don't want to cling so tightly to those that we lose focus on what's so much greater. God, I pray that this life for us, that it's a road to heaven. And that we enjoy the ride. Along the way, that we, we enjoy that ride with, with the people in our lives that we love. But that we don't lose sight on the goal. That we don't lose sight of the goal, which is to spend eternity with you. It's so hard to see this life as just a blip on the timeline, but eternity is so much more. So I pray that moment to moment, choice by choice, we could keep our focus in the right place. God, we, we want to spend eternity with you, whatever that takes. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.